right, so you're in Acts 2.42. As we continue a, a series, we're normally here at Calvary Chapel, what we like to do is teach through different books of the Bible, but every once in a while we'll do a, a topical series, and so we're in this series called Church Life, and today we're going to study true Christian fellowship. Because look what we read here in Acts 2, in verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continually daily with one accord in the temple. And notice this, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. A lot of you are familiar with the fact that Acts 2.42 is, is kind of like a staple scripture. This is something that the early church continued steadfastly in. And as a result of that, they were strong. They were men of God. They were women of God. Miracles were done. Fear was there among the people because they saw the way these Christians stood out so strong. And what we see in Acts 2.42 is some basic things that we need to continue to do as a church. He mentions the apostles' doctrine, and that is the word of God and teaching it and, and learning it and loving it and living it. So it's the Bible, really, from Genesis to Revelation. And then there's prayers. You know, we have to continue to cultivate a healthy prayer life. I pray that you are on your knees. I pray that you pray with other people you will be strong. You will see miracles. Your, your children will change. I mean, God will do a work. You will change. You will grow to be someone like a, like a Joseph or a Paul or, or a Peter or you know, one of these guys we see in church history, a Martin Luther. If we devote ourselves to the word and, and to prayer, but then he mentions the, the, the breaking of bread, the continued steadfasting the apostles' doctrine and, and in fellowship and the breaking of bread. And that right there is more than likely um, communion, ultimately. Uh, what we find the early church did was so cool, man. They would go to different houses and they would grub together. They would eat. To me, it sounds pretty cool. I don't know about you, but, you know, going over house, breaking bread, now, you got to know the culture of the day. They would never eat with someone unless they were really willing to be one with that person. It was a very cultural thing. I mean, it was really across the board, all around the world. Egyptians, uh, Greeks, uh, Jews, they were like that. Because, you know, um, they would all double dip in the sauce. Take a bite, you know, you double dip, and they're double dipping. And so it, it was really intimate. It was really, you know, you were being one with them. But they would invite, you know, over dinner, they'd have Bible studies, you know, they would be talking, and then they would always end the night in communion. You guys know what that is, right? The bread and the cup, and what that is, is focusing on the cross and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we need to do. 
This is what we need to do as a church in order to grow. And, and then he mentions this thing right here that we're going to touch on today, and that is fellowship. And it's so important for us to have this in our hearts as far as what the word fellowship really is. You know, real quick, what I want to do as we go through this series is I kind of want you to have a well-rounded view of the church. And so is it okay to give you two Greek words? Is that okay? Sure. All right, and then I'll give you uh, seven summary points about the church. And if you're taking notes, man, I'm so proud of you. If you're not, I'm not. I'm just joking. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe you learn better by not taking notes. I don't know. But I tell you what, when I go to a Bible study, I'm always taking notes. Anyways, um, let me give you a, a, a Greek word when it comes to the church. And that is that word, ekklesia. Ekklesia. Can you guys say that? Ekklesia. And that's a, the, the Greek word, and it means called out to assemble, you know, and to get out of the house, to come together. This is where we belong. We belong assembled together. Ecclesia was originally a secular word that eventually became sacred, and voila, the word church was born. And you've got to know this about the church. It's not a, a building, it's bodies. It's not the steeple, it's the people. So we are called out to assemble together in the name of Jesus Christ. We are the church. And so I want you to know that. We're going to come back to that letter, Ecclesia. And then seven things about the church. These ones are in English. And we've kind of gone over these already, but by way of review, I'm hoping that it will find a home in your heart. When it comes to the church, we've got to know things like, number one, ownership. Ownership. Who owns the church? Is it the pastor? No, it's Jesus. Jesus owns the church. How did he own the church? Well, it was given to him by his father, and he bought it with his own blood. So you belong to Jesus. And you got to know that, um, that there's that aspect of ownership, and that's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, in verse 18, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, you know. And so we read Acts 20, 28, where he bought the church with his own blood. So number one, ownership. Number two is relationship. And last week, uh, Pastor Mark went over that. You know, when it comes to being part of the church, I mean, it's cool that you're here. You know, praise God. I don't know how you ended up here. Maybe you were, you know, one of these restaurants and you saw, hey, there's a church tucked away there. I'm not sure. Or maybe someone dragged you to church. They said, hey, if you don't come, I'm going to beat you up. Something like that. I don't know, you know. But, you know, you got to know, though, that, that being here doesn't necessarily mean you're part of the church. Um, you have to be born into it. You have to have a relationship with God and Mark went over that last week in John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You know, it's a free gift. You want to go to heaven? It's a free gift. You want forgiveness? It's a free gift. You want love? It's a free gift. You want life? It's a free gift. All you have to do is receive that gift. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. This is not a religion. 
It's a relationship with God. That's the church. And we have to know these things. Number three is the word membership. And we went over that a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And we saw how the way that it works in one sense is in the church, there's an there's a aspect of uh, speaking and serving. And so as we're speaking and teaching, and you've got pastors, apostles, missionaries, evangelists, teachers, as their prophets, as they're teaching, then people are being built up. Right now, you're being built up. As we speak, you might not even realize it, but by you uh, studying the Bible, you're getting stronger. You're, you're getting built up, and then you're going to be ready to serve. And when you're ready to serve, you'll then be rallied to serve. And when we're rallied to serve, we will see results from our service. When everybody understands that, you know, we're part of this membership. And some of you guys here, man, you have gifts and you have talents. There are things about you that are so needed in the church. You know, believe you me, I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt that, you know, what God is doing in this church is something that everyone is contributing in. And so you have gifts and you have talents that come to the table as a part of the church, you're a member of it, you're, you're giving, you're giving gifts. You have supernatural gifts. I mean, it's amazing. Hopefully you're not just burying them. Hopefully you're not just, you know, you know one of those who, who refuses to exercise your gifts because what we find is that what God wants you to do is number one, discover them, Number two, develop them. And then number three, deploy them. And one day, you're going to give an account with the gifts that you've been given. So that leads us after ownership and relationship and membership to the fourth word, and that is fellowship. And we're going to talk about this today, but let me share something with you, the way that it works. Because fellowship is, is so important, and it, it's different than membership like this. Are you guys following me so far? All right, membership is me giving gifts for the church. Fellowship is us sharing our life. It's us sharing our life together. And you're going to see as we go through that today how important it is. In the future weeks, we're going to cover three more things, and that is worship. And that's something we do beyond singing, beyond our lips. And then number six, discipleship. And then number seven is leadership. And we're going to try to figure out how the church runs. I want you guys to know that leaders in the church are not here to be served. We are here to serve. We are here not to be shoving leaders, but to be loving leaders. Leaders are not here in the church to get rich off the money that the people work so hard for. We are here to make the world rich, spiritually speaking. And so we're going to learn about how church works and how important these things are. And so how are you guys doing on your notes so far? Do you got, number one, your Greek word? Ecclesia. Okay, good job. That's church. You got your seven words? I'll tell you what, if you get all 13 points today, we might enter you into a, a prize thing where, you know, you get a free iPad or something. 
in the past, we actually have done it where people have submitted their notes and the one with the best notes won a book. But I don't know if you guys are interested in that. But it is so cool to be able to take notes and then go home and rather than just forget what you heard, I mean, you actually can talk to your wife about it or your friend about it. You can talk to the Lord about it and you can ask him, Lord, how can I live this out loud in my life? Which moves us to our next Greek word that we're going to study today, and that is the word koinonia. Can you say that? Koinonia. And that's a really beautiful word in the New Testament. It, it means association. It means community. It means communion. It's translated that. Uh, giving, sharing, joint participation, collection, contribution. Its root word means common or shared as opposed to one's own, that, that's the Greek word koinos, one's own, it is the word um, ours, not just mine, but ours. That's koinonia. The Greek word was used to describe partners in business or joint owners in a piece of property or shareholders in a common enterprise. In the New Testament, it refers to Christians who share a common faith, a, a common life, and together, Together, we are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when we get guys out there and they, sometimes they'll hit the streets on, on Saturdays or sometimes we even go to McDonald's and we try to get the, the youth as they're pouring out of high school and as we're sharing with them and they're giving them, them invitations and sometimes, man, they're praying to accept Christ. That's not just something that person does. That's something that we all do as we contribute together because you give us opportunities to do things like that. You know, when we look at koinonia, it's important for us to know what God wants us to do, and that is together as common um, participants or partners, or even in one sense, you know, we own this thing, that we are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But fellowship, as we see, is not just sharing our Christian gifts and talents. It's more along the lines of membership. We think of a body. It's essentially sharing our lives together. And so there's five more things that maybe you can write down about fellowship. Because this is going to be so important for you to grow. Some of you here, you know, you, you haven't been growing you're, you're not weak. You're fighting with your spouse. You're fighting with your children. You don't have any peace. You don't have any joy. The devil has come into your house. And it seems to me like he is stronger than you. And yet God lives in you. Why is that? There's something wrong. We need to grow. We need to grow up. And maybe you're here and you're like, but Manny, I've, I've been praying and, I, and I've been in the word. And maybe you have, but have you really truly been in fellowship? Truly. You know, we're going to see how important it is. And as we go through our study today, we're going to see five things about it. Number one, it's getting together. Getting together with other Christians. Number two, it's gleaning together, gleaning together from other Christians. Number three, it's gazing together. And here's something that I always tell people, you know, don't look too long at yourself. If you look too long at yourself, you're going to be depressed. 
Henry was saying it earlier, we're all knuckleheads. And I know some of you, you're, you're double knuckleheads, man. <laughs> you look too long on yourself, you're going to be depressed. If you look too long in the world, you're going to be distressed. But if you look to the Lord, you're going to be blessed. Amen. When we have communion together, we're gazing at the cross. We're going to talk about that. We are looking at the love of Jesus Christ for us. And so fellowship is, is getting together. Fellowship is gleaning together. Fellowship is gazing together. Fellowship, number four, is giving together. And when all this happens, we're going to see the result will be we're, we're going to be growing together. And so let's go over to Hebrews 10 from here in Acts. We'll go to Hebrews 10 to a passage that we kind of keep coming back to because it's so important when it comes to church. And it says in verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And here we see uh, the writer to Hebrews is talking to the Christians and he's telling them, hey, you know, don't stop going to church service. You know, don't stop the assembly. As a matter of fact, before you decide not to go to church, think about others. Think about the other people. It says, considering one another in order to stir up love and good works. You know, when you're here, your smile, your presence, your contribution, your hug, your little word that you give to your brother or sister, that might be all the difference in the world that they need. Did you know that for some people, I know it sounds, it sounds almost you know, ridiculous, but for some people, all they need is for someone else to come alongside of them and hold their hand and walk through life together with them. Did you know that? That there are some people in the church who don't even have one friend. Why is that? Well, everybody's mean. Are you sure? What does the Bible say? In order to have friends, you've got to be friendly. You've got to open up. You have to reach out. You know, so when you're deciding not to go to church, uh, I don't feel like it today, consider others because what happens is you stir them up to love and good works. You know, you're going to uh, not only make others suffer, but I think that you will suffer as well, right? I, I remember reading a story about a man who used to go to church consistent, faithfully, and then he stopped. And so after a season of time, the pastor, he went to go visit him. It was a cold night. As he arrived at this guy's house, uh, this man was uh, sitting there in front of the fire. And so, you know, the pastor comes, knocks on the door. The guy knows why the pastor's there. He's visiting him because he hasn't been in church in a while. And so uh, he invites him in. Uh, they both sit down in front of the fire and not a word. Not a word is spoken. And so what ends up happening is the pastor, instead of saying anything, he's just looking at the fire. And eventually he gets up, he grabs some tongs, he takes a piece of wood out of the fire. 
and he pulls it out and he puts it on this uh, patch of britches, uh, bricks on the side. And, uh, and what they do, they're both just watching this whole thing, is they see the fire begin to weaken and then the fire dies. As he takes it out and away from all the other logs and wood and fire, it just sits there on the lo- all alone, it, it dies. And so it's interesting, he, after that whole thing happens, you know what happened next? The pastor just got up, didn't say a word, never said a word. He just got up and, and he started going towards the door, leaving. And then the man, he got the message. And you know what he said to the pastor? He said, thank you for coming over and for preaching such a fiery sermon. (laughs) He said, and I'll see you next Sunday. I, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have to be here. We have to have it in our heart. Jesus went every week to the synagogue. The Bible says that. In the book of John, chapter 18, verse 20, Acts 16, 13, the ladies, they met regularly. John 18, 2, Jesus met, you know, uh, often with his disciples. There is this fellowship that we need to have. Number one, getting together. And number two, gleaning together. Turn, if you would, to Philemon, uh, chapter 1. And Philemon is just to the left, actually, of Hebrews. Because I know a lot of you guys here don't know where Philemon is, and that's okay. But Philemon, look at verse 6. It says that the sharing of your faith. Now that word sharing right there is the Greek word translated fellowship. What's the Greek word? You guys don't know it? Koinonia. Just remember, it's like my last name, Koinonia, Koinonia, okay? <laughs> And literally in the, in the Greek language, it says that the fellowship of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, a great translation is a New English translation and puts it this way. I pray that the faith you share with us may deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to you in Christ. You see, What happens when you have this fellowship of your faith, this fellowship, this sharing of your faith, when that takes place, then there is a deeper understanding of the blessings that we have been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you don't just come to church service and leave without talking to someone without maybe exchanging someone's phone number. Make sure there's no one weird, but you know, I mean, you're like, well, how do you figure it out? It takes a little time, but you know, I'm serious. You know, I mean, you have to fellowship. I mean, it's been so cool to see on Tuesday nights, the ladies come, 60, 65 ladies, man, and they're, they, they have their teaching and they break up into their groups and they're talking about the Bible. They're talking about their life. And then after it's done, they don't just go home. They're eating and then talking some more. And I'm telling you what, the ladies are growing. And same thing with the men on Wednesday nights. Same thing, we have the men's fellowship. 
And so we have a little panel discussion, then we break up into groups, and we're talking. And as we're talking, we're teaching. And as we're sharing our faith, there is a deepening of the understanding of the blessings that we've been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's why this is so important for us. Our, sometimes even our casual Christian conversation leads to encouragement, you know? Get together with other couples. If you're here, just in case you're here and you don't have any friends, come and talk to me afterwards, man. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a few questions. I'll hook you up with somebody who's kind of like you. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll connect people. We'll do whatever we can. If there's someone here who feels alone, believe you me, my heart goes out to you. None of us should be alone. And you're a couple and you want to go out to dinner, or whatever, you want to invite me over to your house, my wife and I? I'm serious. I mean, Shelly and I, we tend to just go wherever. We're like all over the place. We're not just the same people. Because we, we're, we're, we have this ministry. And we're all over the place. Because we know how important fellowship is. I mean, you know, someone makes the, the meal, and that's their love language, right? And that love... It changes someone's life. I've learned this, that dinner can lead to discipleship, that food can lead to fellowship. There is a reason the Bible says that they went from house to house breaking bread together. And then they would have communion at, at the end of the night. This is what we need. This is what is so important. You know, in 1 John, if you would turn there, What we find is that it's just, it's so cool the way it works. Notice what we read in 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and, and this is talking about Jesus, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and literally in the Greek language it says, and we still hear, which we have seen with our eyes and we still see, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. He says, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. I mean, he's talking about Jesus. John is talking about Jesus. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. I mean, you're not going to have the fullness of joy if you don't have fellowship with God and fellowship with the people of God. When you do, I promise you, when things begin to happen, your life will change. Because you realize, as Mark was sharing last week, when we enter into this relationship, we all have the same Father, and if we all have the same father, what does that make us? Brothers and sisters. Now, for some of you, that's good. Some of you, it's not good, but it should be good, okay? We're siblings in Christ. And so we need to have that fellowship together. And what God does is so beautiful. It's just centered on him. You know, um, uh, this weekend was a good weekend for us on 
on Friday, uh, my wife and I went to the football game, and because uh, a lot of you guys know that Nadine's uh, brother uh, plays football for, for Rosemead, and we have just a connection there with that school. And, uh, and so, you know, we went and to support and to watch the football game, but because there were other Christians there, what ended up happening? We fellowshiped, right? I mean, we talked a little bit about the game, and we got a big win that night, and that was really cool, right? But, you know, Carlos is there, and you guys know Carlos. And, you know, and, and Mike and Angie and, and Alex and all these people, Natalie. And so, you know, we end up talking about the Lord. And as we're talking, we're teaching. As there's casual Christian conversation, there is consecration. God begins to work in, in things like that. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, that's the way it works, that, that fellowship when you get Christians together centered on Christ. And then Saturday morning, we got together with the men and, you know, 15, 20 guys praying together, talking together, bonding as a band of brothers, growing because there's fellowship. And then afterwards, we were invited to a birthday party for Samuel. And you guys know Samuel, he's from Cambodia, man, we got to go you know, to his party. We do our best to make it. We make it there and, you know, we get to fellowship with brothers and sisters. And then last night, we ended up at Calvary Chapel LAX with 20 other married couples. My wife and I, think about this, Shelly and I sitting up in the front, man, it's something she would never, ever want to do. But we're teaching and we're fellowshipping with all these couples. What ends up happening? God begins to work in our life. Whatever you do, don't just isolate yourself. You gotta, you gotta know how important this is because I don't know about you, but I know I need a lot of help. Uh, C.S. Lewis, that brilliant scholar, he said the next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are wise. How many of you here admit you're not too wise, like me. I mean, I'm really bad. I lack common sense. But I have surrounded myself with men who are wise. I have been blessed all my Christian life with men who are wise. We need that. You can't do this on your own. And not only that, but maybe you're here and you've learned a few things and you've grown in wisdom. How can you just hold it to yourself? You have to ask God, you know, to hook you up with people and you have to take steps of faith. There's a very important verse in verse 7 here. Look, look at what it says. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, one of the reasons why people, um, they don't grow is because they don't really walk in the light with other people. You're, you ask them, how are you doing? And, they, and they'll tell you, I'm doing good, when really they're not doing good. You know, and so when you're walking in the light, you're being honest, hey, I'm having some struggles in my marriage can you pray for me? Of course, you can't tell anybody that. So it's a process of time where you begin to pray, where you begin to ask the Lord to, you know, to hook you up with people that, 
that really care, people that you can trust, and then you begin to open up. Because until then, until you open up, there is no fellowship. You know, you're, you're talking one thing at home and a different thing at church. There is no fellowship. But once you begin to open up, the walls begin to fall down. It says, now you're walking in the light and we can have fellowship with one another. You're transparent and God begins to do a work. See, when you get together with other Christians, um, if they're, you know, the way that they're supposed to be, like Jesus, they're going to encourage you. How many of you here need to be encouraged? You know, and you're like, well, I'm going to tough this out, and Jesus is going to do it, and he will, but don't you know that Jesus usually uses people? We're his hands, we're his feet, we're his mouth. You have to open up, right? I mean, we, we need others. And sometimes when we've blown it, we need others. I like what one guy said. Uh, it says, fellowship is a place of grace where sins are not rubbed in, they're rubbed out. And sometimes you get together with people and they're like, ah, yeah, don't fellowship with them, man. <laughs> but they, but they lift you up and they encourage you. You know what? God is good and his blood is strong. His Holy Spirit is available and he loves you so much you can't even begin to imagine. And rather than rubbing in the sin, we rub it out. You know, it's this life that we live together, right? Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We gotta live our life. We gotta fellowship. We gotta share our life. What ends up happening is it doubles your joys and it cuts your sorrows in half. You know, I, I remember reading a story about a gal. She was a young woman traveling uh, alone up this rud, rugged highway from Alberta to the Yukon. Uh, she didn't know that you don't travel to Whitehorse alone in a rundown sedan, which is what she had. But she set off where only four-wheel drive vehicles normally venture. And so the first evening, she found a room in the mountains near a summit, and she asked for a 5 a.m. wake-up call so she can get an early start. As she couldn't really understand why the clerk looked surprised at the request, but as she woke early and saw all the morning fog shrouding the mountaintops, she began to understand but not wanting to look foolish, uh, she got up, went to breakfast, and as she's there uh, having breakfast, a couple of truckers invited her to join them since the place was so small. And so she felt obliged, joined them for breakfast, and they asked her, they said, hey, where are you headed? And she said, I'm going to Whitehorse. And they said, in that little sedan? No way. This pass is dangerous in weather like this. And she said, well, I'm determined to try. And it wasn't a very informed response, but apparently she had a lot of guts. And so what the truckers did was they said to her, then we are going to hug you. And she said, I'm sorry, I don't know you. What do you mean you're going to hug me? And they said, no, no, not like that. She said, we, we call it that. We truckers call it that. And what that means is that as you travel up this journey, we're going to have one in front of you 
and one of us behind you. In that way, we'll get you through the mountains. All that foggy morning, Linda followed the two red dots in front of her, and she had the reassurance of the big escort behind as they made their way safely through the mountains. When I was talking to Peter, he's also a trucker, and he says that that as a trucker, a lot of times cars will do that purposely because the truck, it absorbs the wind, and and it weathers the storm for them. And you see, this is a picture of our life. I mean, you guys know where we're going. It's not easy. We're caught in the fog and the dangerous passages that we will encounter. We need to be hugged in the Christian life. You know what I mean? You know, someone who knows the way and can lead us safely. Maybe someone behind us gently encouraging us, sometimes nudging us, yes, sometimes correcting us. But we cannot do this on our own. You see, Christian fellowship is getting together. It's it's gleaning together. And then the others, I just want to give to you real quick because I think they're important. You've got to know Number three is gazing together, and that is 1 Corinthians 10, 16, where the Bible translates that Greek word. Do you remember the Greek word? Koinonia. It translates it communion. Communion. When was the last time you had communion with your friends? You're like, well, Manny, I'm not ordained yet. You don't have to be ordained to have communion. Well, Manny, I, I, I only, I'm just a new Christian. It, it doesn't matter. Well, Manny, I'm an old Christian, and you should know better. <laughs> Why don't you have communion with your family? Communion with your friends. My wife and I, we got this little, two little communion sets. We even we need to do it more frequently. And, and what it is is that together you look at the cross. Together, uh, this fellowship is you get together, you have dinner, but hey, hey, before you leave, let's, let's do this, man. Let's make sure that we bring Jesus into this. You know, it's getting together, it's gleaning together, it's gazing together, it's giving together. That's number four. And that's part of the fellowship that we're all, we want to get the gospel out. We want people to get off crystal meth and drugs and homeless to get saved. We want God to do a great work and we are not content. We will never be content. We want God to do this wonderful work. And so what do we do? We give. You know, some people say, well, I give my time. You know what? That's between you and the Lord, but I have a feeling one day you're going to get busted because all the money belongs to God, all of it. And so he said, hey, how about you give me 10%? What do you say? Yeah, but Lord, I got this crazy cell phone bill. Well, get rid of the cell phone. I like Starbucks. I eat out. Hey, beans and rice and Jesus Christ, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> If that's what it takes to give 10%, I mean, you know, 10% is like training wheels. No offense. You know, some people say, oh, 10%, what is that, from the net or the gross? You know, <laughs> you know, in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament, they gave 10%. You know, and that was that covenant. Now we got this great, grand, glorious, gracious covenant, and you, you know, you're saying you, you give me less? Now, for some of you here, the Lord knows you're living on a fixed income and, and you are spending your money uh, frugally and, and wisely 
and you're not indulging in any way upon anything upon yourself. God knows. But for the rest of us, we've got to be careful. You know, a lot of times we think God increases our, our, our standard of living for ourselves. No, sometimes he increases your standard of living so that you can increase your standard of giving. Malachi said this. He said, he said you're robbing me. You're robbing God. And you're like, what do you mean we're robbing God? He said in tithes and offerings. I mean, tithe is just 10%. Offerings is everything above that. So, so here's the thing between you and the Lord. You know, make those decisions because I will tell you this, a lot of times people have financial problems because they're not giving what they should be giving. And so... Imagine if we all caught that vision. The Lord said, I challenge you in this, that if you bring into the storehouse my tithes and offerings, God said, I will open the windows of heaven and bless you more than you can ever begin to imagine. You will not have enough room to hold in all my blessings. See, this is fellowship. And you'll see that over and over again. Romans 15, 26. 2 Corinthians 8, 4 and 9, 13. Philippians 1, 5. Hebrews 13, 16. You know, give to the church what belongs to the church, that 10%. Maybe, you know, you can give your offerings to other places, you know, like a radio ministry that you're listening to this guy and you really like his teaching or or some type of benevolent cause. Ask the Lord to lead you. As a result of all these things, then we will grow together. That's what's going to happen. We're going to grow as a church corporately, and we're going to grow individually. It reminds me of the sequoia redwood trees. Any of you guys ever seen those sequoia redwood trees? Is that a curiosity? They're magnificent, aren't they? They really are. Uh, they're the tallest trees in the world. Many of them are, are uh, close to 250 years old, uh, uh, close to 300, sometimes 325 feet high. Their height is impressive as well as their bulk. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but not only are they 300 feet high, which is like the height of the Statue of Liberty, but they are so wide, um, they are 30 feet wide, 94 feet in circumference. I mean, just gigantic. And it's hard to imagine how big these trees are. They say that one tree weighs 4,000 tons. With one tree, you can build 40 homes with five rooms in it. Think about that, one tree. And so, you know, what I'm trying to say to you is I want you to be like that. Is that I want to be like that. You know, I mean, I want to be, I want to grow like a redwood tree. I want to be able to provide, you know, whatever, for five homes. I want to have substance to me. I want to grow to know the Lord. How do we do that? Well, Acts 2.42, you know, prayer, the word, fellowship if you don't got fellowship it, it's not going to happen and, and it's almost as if these things you know they go together in such a way that that we just 
We just got to know that we have to be proactive in it. They say that the key to the growth of the redwood trees, I don't know if you guys knew this, is their root system. Now their root system, rather than going down deep like most trees, it tends to spread wide. They say the trees are so massive because, number one, they only grow in groves, and number two, their roots intertwine underneath the ground. And so can you visualize that? They're underneath, and they're just hooking up, man, and they're gathering together, and they're feeding off of each other, and they're growing. You see, that's what we need. We need that genuine fellowship. We need to be connected to other Christians in that way. And so, you know, I, I do encourage you, you know, don't, don't leave without getting to know somebody. And if you need, uh, you know, to start off, first of all, with the most important one to know is the Lord.